You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Hey, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. We've been, we've been kind of going through this gospel. It's been fantastic. The emphasis has been on uh, Jesus Christ and growing in his likeness. And that is the goal of every believer, every follower of Christ. If you're obedient to Christ in your faith, you're going to grow. It just is automatic. It happens. It's something we can't stop. Uh, every believer is, is becoming more like Jesus. Uh, and I want to share with you this morning, very specifically in this gospel, Mark chapter 5, let's hone in on a couple of stories mentioned in this chapter, and let's see how Christ reacted to those stories, what he did, uh, what caused him to do it. There's just so much here in this, in, this, in this chapter, Mark chapter 5, we're in sermon number 5, taking one sermon or two sermons or three sermons, whatever we need to do from every chapter as we walk through this together. So this is going to be a very encouraging message. My wife is not here. She was here last week. She had surgery this week. But I told her when I got home that I felt like last week's message was, uh, uh, man, it was heavy. It was, uh, it was a tougher message, even for me. I mean, believe me. I've already preached the message to me three or four times before I preach it to you. And so I kind of get a a feel for what is going to take place as we gather. And this morning, I feel different than last week in the sense that I I feel this is a very encouraging message. It's a simple message. But you know, there is power in simplicity, isn't there? I wonder what would be the vantage of, of coming to church and then leaving without really being able to comprehend the truth. I mean, we want to make it practical. Jesus did that so well as he taught uh, the disciples and those that followed him. And I'm going to attempt to do that this morning. Just take a very encouraging truth, very simple truth, and and bring it to life in the time that we have together. Let me ask you a question as we get started. And this will be the foundation question. Have you ever, have you personally ever been in a desperate place. Think about that. Maybe even right now, there is something happening in your life that you would say, wow, that's interesting that you asked that question. I have something right now in my life that I have a very desperate need for. I'm talking about desperation like this. I mean, where you, your need is so great and your time is very short, And your options are not like a few things. Your options are zero. I mean, there's just absolutely nothing else left to consider. There's there's nowhere else to turn. There's no more medicine. There's, There's no more ideas, suggestions, counselors. You're just in a desperate situation. Maybe it's a health crisis. Maybe it's a financial concern or a devastating uh, personal problem. It could be a moral collapse in your life or an emotionally shattering event. But if you've ever been in a desperate place, then you probably know what it's like to wonder from the depth of your soul, how do I get God to help me? How do I get God to help me? I'm desperate. I don't have any ideas. I've tried everything there is. Now, we all believe that God can help us, don't we? I mean, I think that's pretty much a... If you have followed Christ for any length of time, we would all agree, yeah, that's why I'm here. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I know God can help me. The question really is, will he? 
We all know he can, but will he? And what can I do to access this help? Is there anything that I can do to move God to respond to my situation, to my dire need, to my desperate place? And so the answer to that question is one word. That word is faith. Faith. That's the word this morning. Faith moves God. When God sees our faith, Scripture teaches that's the one thing that that moves him to do something. Over and over and over again in the Gospels we see that Jesus said things like this, because of your unbelief. He says in other passages, oh ye of little, finish it, faith. Or he'll say something like, he, he responded to their faith. So many times in the scriptures we see. And always the human element in the transaction of God's work, always the human element is faith. It's always faith. Faith moves God. Hebrews eleven six 6 says that it's without faith, it is absolutely impossible to please him. So what exactly is faith? What is this faith thing? Really? And how can I know that I have it? At my point of desperation so that God will get involved and somehow answer my request and come and meet my need. Well, what I want to do this morning is I want to look at two of the three stories in Mark chapter 5. It's interesting. Mark 5 is laid out with three stories, but two of the stories are interesting because they, one story starts and then there's this interruption in the story. It's crazy. In fact, the story is so, it's so good and it's so interesting and it leaves you on the edge of your seat and then it starts going into this other story and you're like when you're reading it, wait a minute, I want to hear the rest of this story. And it doesn't pick up until that story's over and it picks up and tells the rest of the first story. I'm not trying to confuse you. I'm just telling you that's the two stories we're going to look at. The message this morning has one point. I told you it's going to be simple. And here it is on the screen. Faith that acts and asks and overcomes gets answered. And don't let those first two words uh, disturb you. Don't let them get confused. Don't let them look too similar or sound too similar. Acts and asks and overcomes gets answered. What? kind of faith does God respond to? Answer. Faith that acts, faith that asks, and faith that overcomes. That's the kind of faith that God responds to. So in Mark chapter 5, we see this example. The first story is about a man named Jairus. And we know this man's name. The Bible is very specific about his name. It tells us who he is. He has a daughter that is sick. She's very sick. In fact, you know, sometimes when we read these Bible stories, I wonder if we take the time to really hone in on the fact that this is a real person with a real need who is a, this is a real story. It actually happened. We're not just reading some fairy tale that happened to, this is true. This happened. This is a real story. This is a real family. This man had children. He was a genuine father who had a daughter. She's sick. She's at the point of dying. It's really happened. I wonder this morning how many of us sitting in this room can 
at least put ourselves in the story if we have a daughter. Or I'll go as far as to say if you have a child, but let's just say for, for a moment, maybe you do have a daughter. Can you imagine if this morning you were sitting in this auditorium, your daughter is not here, she's at home, and she may die before the end of this service? That's the scenario. That's how desperate this man is. So I want you to see in the story some things here. First of all, I want you to notice in Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, I want you to see very specifically he acted. So notice with me in Mark 5, 21 on the screen, or in your notes or in your Bibles, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd again. It seems like every time when Jesus is working and ministering and helping people, there is a great crowd that gathers. He was beside the sea. And when one of the rulers of the synagogue, look at it, Jairus by name. Very specifically, we find some things out about Jairus, that he was a ruler of the synagogue. He was not a priest. He was much like maybe what a deacon would be in a church. He was like an administrator in the synagogue. He would have been somebody that was very important. He was an important person. We know his name. He was active. He was involved. He was somebody who would have done uh, maybe some of the office work here. We don't know the specifics, but we do know he was an important person. He was an official in the synagogue. And the Bible says he saw Jesus and he fell at his feet. Action. Now, Jarius could have made a lot of excuses as to why he would, he would maybe not do this. Jarius could have said, you know what, I, I just don't want people to see me like this. I mean, I'm important. I've got a name. I'm one of the rulers in the synagogue. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, if, if I get out there and, and fall at his feet, I mean, it's going to be a little embarrassing. I mean, people are probably going to think I'm crazy. He could have said, you know what, I just don't want to get my hopes up. If I go see Jesus and it doesn't work out like I want it to work out, I'll just settle for less. I'll just stay home and kind of hope it all works out. He could have said, you know, my colleagues are going to oppose me. People are going to be against me because Jesus already kind of had, he's targeted. People already kind of have a plan to take him out. And if I actually identify myself as a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm going to lose influence. People are going to think I'm crazy and, and I might endanger my own life. He could have said, you know, my daughter's probably going to die anyway, so why even try? He didn't do any of that. He acted. He got up. He got dressed. He left his house. He he asked around. He, He located Jesus. He got through the crowd. He fell at his feet. He acted. Faith is not passive. Faith is active. It's active. You know, I think about the, the circumstances surrounding the beginnings of gospel light. My wife and I lived in California. We were, we were a youth pastor and youth pastor's wife in California. We were doing great. We, we loved it there. We already had one child, Mo, and, and we were, you know, just really thriving in ministry and marriage. And it, everything was great. But a man by the name of Cliff Kaufman, uh, who <clears throat> passed away a couple of years ago, was in our church for the first 25 years of our church. He called, he called his son, Bud, and he said, Hey, Bud, he said, I, I, you know, we're kind of all disheveled a little bit. We're looking for a place to go. We got 10 of us or so. And I wonder if, you know, why don't you call Eric? I know he's out there in California. I wonder if he'd ever consider pastoring a church. Give him a call. So Bud Kaufman 
28 years ago, called me. And he said, Eric, look, I just, I just want you to know we've got some people out here that might be interested in starting a little church. We, we're all kind of looking. We're, we, we can probably find a place to go. We just thought we'd try and call you. And my wife and I started praying about starting a church in Hot Springs, Arkansas, because someone acted upon his faith and made the phone call. And then when they made the phone call, there was a, a young man and his wife, newlyweds, just married, just moved to California, a couple of years in the ministry, said, you know what, we're going to act. We didn't have much. It was the worst time in the world to act. The economy was very unstable in the early 90s. And we had bought a condominium that was highly overpriced. It was 800, 750 square feet of, of, of a little loft, if you will. It was so small. It was only really not even, it was one bedroom, that was it. I don't even know if you'd call it a bedroom, kind of like a loft and a little small kitchen and a place to put a, a, a couch. It was $130,000 we paid for that 700 square feet. I think you could get 700 square feet in, in Hot Springs for about 10000 you know, a garage loft or something, right? It's crazy. But when the economy crashed, we could only get... Uh, about 90,000 for it, so we had put 30,000 down, and we lost all that plus some. We had $3,000 left to our name. I remember I looked at my wife, and I said, let's go. We bought, we got a U-Haul. It was about 1,000 bucks. It took about 800 to get out here after gas and hotels, and we had about 1,200 left, and Cliff had a little rental property out in the middle of nowhere on Jaguar Trail where only ticks and fleas live, and we moved out there. My brother actually and I lived in the same house for months. We were having a blast. We were acting upon the faith that God put in our hearts to start this church. And, you know, I I could tell so many more things about that story. There's so many miracles that took place as a result of action. Here's my point. Regardless of where you're at in this place right now, your faith is going to require action. You must be willing to act on what it is God wants you to do. Does your desperate need matter? Does it even matter? Because faith is not passive. Faith is active. Notice, secondly, not only does he act, but he asks. Look, if you would, at Mark 5 and beginning in verse 22. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Darius by name, seeing him. I want you to notice this in verse 23. He fell at his feet. I'm bringing that into verse 23 from verse 22. He falls at his feet. He implores him earnestly. Let's stop right there for just a moment and and just, just examine those two things. He falls at his feet. We see here there is no shame. He is so desperate. It doesn't matter who notices him. It doesn't matter that people are probably going to, you know, draw. he's drawing attention to himself. He is in a desperate place and nothing else matters. He falls at his feet. Then the Bible says he implored him earnestly. That simply means he begged. He pleaded. He cried. He wailed. He desperately needed help. How do you ask in faith? How do you do it? What's the method? What do you do? Well, you, you obviously, there's some kind of an action here that involves a, a prayer, a falling at the feet of Christ, an imploring, a begging. But I'm going to tell you, this verse is so power-packed, it's so full of answers that I could spend the next 30 minutes just preaching on this one verse. Instead, I'll take five. And I'm going to give you the four things I see in this story of how we should ask in faith. Number one, I want you to notice the brokenheartedness. Look at it. My little daughter. We find out later in the passage she was 12 years old. 12 years old. 
brokenhearted. He was desperate. I mean, can you imagine? Again, put yourself in this story. By the way, you're not Jesus in the story. You're Jairus in the story. That's who you are. It's always good to find yourself in every story. Who am I? I'm Jairus. I'm the one with the desperate need. And Jairus falls at his feet and he says, My little daughter. Question, have you allowed God to break your heart over something this father did? He had it. He was broken hearted. Are you broken hearted this morning over a lost loved one? Are you broken hearted this morning maybe off, off of a wayward child or someone who is sick, someone in your life who is hurting, maybe a personal situation in your life that you just want God to, to take away, to heal, to, 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 to solve, to provide freedom in? Broken heartedness is the first thing I want you to notice. Secondly, notice the urgency. The urgency. My little daughter, here it is, is at the point of death. She was at the final stage of dying. She didn't have months to live. She didn't have weeks to live. She didn't have days to live. She didn't have hours. She had minutes. Minutes. This is the, this is the final stages. She is about to die. Church, this is where God responds. When we have the sense of urgency, God, we've got to have this, God. We've got to hear from you, God. We need this, God. Listen, faith begins to well up in our hearts when we get to this place of urgency. I had a youth pastor, a pastor called me this morning. I was in my office. I was actually, you know, studying one final time uh, like I do every Sunday morning for the past 28 years. I get here early and I study some more. Just, I just want the message to be so fresh, you know, and I was in there, it's right in the middle of my sermon, phone rings, you know, and you're like, oh man. But I see this pastor from South Carolina whose kids came to Teen Rev. So I, I said, I got to pick this up. I mean, I can't let this go to the message. Plus I was kind of thinking, you know, ho- hopefully it's something good. So I answered it. He said, Eric, have you got a minute? I said, yes. He goes, I got to tell you something, man. He goes, you have no idea what God did with our kids this, this week. He said, you know, we, you, let me tell you the whole story. He said, we're driving from South Carolina, and about halfway in Tennessee, we had a major flat tire. It was awful. We couldn't, we couldn't fix it. We were having all kinds of trouble. And uh, they called me, and, and there was other issues going on with the van. Then there was a couple of kids that were really acting up, causing a lot of issues. It was just so overwhelming in that moment, halfway to Arkansas, that my, one of the counselors said, why don't we just go back? I mean, look, this is probably a sign we shouldn't go further. And the pastor, I I said, look, get everybody on the speakerphone. And so I put everybody, I said, listen, guys, this is Satan. He's fighting. We prayed too much. In fact, right now, I'm going to pray. We're going to pray. We're not going to stop praying. We're going to get you to Arkansas. God's got something for you. He said, they get to Arkansas and first service, the second service, by the third service, two of our kids had gotten saved. I mean, they were so stirred up. The two kids that were causing all the problems on the way up here got, kind of got things right. And he said, Pastor, it's just absolutely phenomenal. He said, I, 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 want, I, want, I want you to know that, 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 that this is a testimony of prayer and of, of, it was an emergency situation. We were about to turn back, but God intended something different. And as a result of that, we have two young people that trusted Christ at Teen Revolution. What am I saying? I'm saying that when you have that kind of desperation, when you have that kind of urgency, get ready. Faith is welling up in your hearts. It's going to move God every time. It's going to move him. 
Notice thirdly, and I have to say this word very slow to say it right. Notice thirdly the specificity. I can't say it fast. Notice the specificity. What is it you're asking God to do specifically? Look at it in the text. My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her. God, here's exactly what I'm asking you to do. Please come right now to my house, down the hallway, to the right, through the door. She's on the bed. Lay your hands. Pray. God, i got to have you right now. you got to come to my house. You've, God, this is what I need you to do. Specific. I think sometimes we pray these generic prayers because we're not filled with faith. Dear Lord, bless the day, and then God, it's a good day, and we want to have a good day, and we need a good day, and God, bless the day, and I pray that the day would be good, and that we'd have a good day, and that all days would be good, like yesterday was good, and like tomorrow will hopefully be good. We say the word day like 50 times in the prayer. We just keep saying day, good day, great day, hope day, what day, yesterday. We're just praying words because I think we're just not filled with faith. For some reason, we just are afraid to ask God for something specific. After you thank him for the day, why don't you ask him for some things that day? God, help me today to walk in faith. Help me to talk to somebody about you today. God, put somebody in my path today. God, open my eyes. I mean, why don't we get specific in our prayer? This is a great challenge, isn't it? This is what faith, this is what's needed to ask in faith. We must, we must be brokenhearted and urgent. And specific in our prayers. Number four, notice the confidence. This is such a big part of faith. Notice the confidence in the text. My little daughter, he was brokenhearted. She's at the point of death. He was urgent. Come and lay your hands on her. He was specific. So that she may be well and live. God, I just know that if you could come, that this could happen. I just believe, God, that you could do this. Do you see the four things in the text? Brokenhearted, urgency, specificity, confidence. Because faith that acts and faith that asks, here's the third thing. Ready? Overcomes. Overcomes. Notice he overcomes. There will be a test to every prayer that we pray. Now, let me tell you real quickly, we're going to skip down to verse 35 in just a minute because I want to finish this story before I tell you the other one. But can I tell you what was going on here? So what happens here is that Jesus is, is, is you know, giving attention to this man, but all of a sudden, as he is going to Jairus' house, he's on the way. Jairus got his attention. Can you imagine how Jairus must have felt? Oh, 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 you're coming. Go. And, and they're walking briskly, and all of a sudden, something happens. Craig, a woman comes onto the scene, and while he's speaking, he stops, and he begins to minister to this lady. Now, I'll be honest with you. I think Jarius must have been brokenhearted. I mean, he's like, oh, my goodness. What's happening here? Did not you just hear what I said, Jesus? We, we can't waste this time. We can't stop here. Look, I, this lady, look my daughter's about to die. This lady's going to be okay. She can wait. I can only imagine how he must have felt. So I want you to notice with me at verse number 35. 
while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, while he was still speaking to that lady, maybe her family, maybe congratulating her on her faith, who knows, while he was speaking, someone comes from Jairus' house and says, your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the master any further. It's over. She died. You had minutes. There's no use in even making any more effort to come. How much of our lives are like that? You know, our marriage is struggling, right? Man, just going through a tough time. We go to this marriage retreat, maybe get a little counseling. Things begin to improve. We're making some steps and some progress. We're, man, the marriage is, is, is experiencing some restoration, and then something happens. A huge blow up, a massive problem. And we feel as if we go all the way back to ground zero. Finances. You know, we kind of get some of those bills paid, right? And man, we're getting credit cards wiped out and we're getting things taken care of. And man, we just refinanced the house and got the interest rate. I mean, everything's so much better. And then we lose our job. It's like, wait a minute. We're just getting through this. Everything was going in the right direction. And now this? How much of our lives are just like this? We, we experience victory, and then there's this massive delay. Our faith has to overcome that obstacle, whatever it is. And this is the story. This is how God responds. When we overcome, look at verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Jesus said this, do not fear, only believe. Don't fear, believe. So he allows no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John. Obviously, Jesus only wanted those who he knew were filled with faith to come with him. So he says, you, you, and you, let's go. We're going to Jairus' house. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus, here's what Jesus saw. First thing he saw, they come over the hill, they see the house, he sees a commotion, and people are crying, they are weeping, they are wailing. What does it say? Loudly. It's crazy. You can hear the groans. The cry. It's awful. That's a bad situation. This is not a pretty picture. I mean, things look bleak. Jesus walks into this situation. Everybody's out of control. Notice what happens. When he enters, he says to them, Jesus says, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead. He's just sleeping. Well, first of all, in in Jairus' defense, well, Jesus, you're Jesus, and you know the rest of the story, but I'm Jairus, and I don't know what's going to happen. And so Jesus is trying to calm everything down, but I can't imagine it probably wasn't working. In fact, look at verse number 40. They start laughing. They go from crying to laughing. Do you see it? And they laughed at him. They get cynical. I mean, now they're, now they're just like, yeah, sure, right, yeah, right. I mean, thanks, Jesus, but I mean, th- this is ridiculous. Just give it up. She's dead okay did you not hear us she's gone she's dead wake up jesus you're late you blew it (laughs) so he puts them all outside but he takes the child's father and mother obviously he just didn't want anybody else going in but those who were filled with faith he 
says, Jarius, your wife, let's go. And Peter, James, and John, let's go. He takes her by the hand in verse 41. He says to her, Talithi kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, the girl got up. She begins walking. She was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And I love this next line. I love just the sensitivity, the humanity in this statement. Give her something to eat. Why did he put that there? I just think Jesus wanted to show us a little part of himself that cares about some of the small details. And by the way, he didn't say give her some fiber one. He said give her a little Debbie's cake. Parents, if you're, look, when you got a 12-year-old that just got, did something good or had something good happen, let them eat fruity pebbles, okay, with extra sugar. Hallelujah. You know, don't give them figs or something. You know, give them something. Amen? Dylan, right? Am I good with that? I love it. I still eat fruity pebbles all the time because Bentley loves them and I buy them all the time. Love, love fruity pebbles. Give her something to eat. I love that. I could not preach on that for 30 minutes, but I can preach on it for two minutes. Amen? I love that. Give her something. Jairus acts, he asks, he overcomes, and Jesus answers. Because faith that acts, and faith that asks, and faith that overcomes gets answered. Now, Jordan brought to our attention the Gospel of John in a very important passage about, if you abide me and my words abide in you, ask what you will. And so, yes, let me stop here just because he said that and interject this, that I don't mean... If you do this, God will do what you want. I don't mean that at all. In fact, we submit to God. He doesn't submit to us. We've got to understand that. Even Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, had to pray, not my will, but thine be done. And a part of the transaction of prayer is submitting myself to God's will. That's why we need to abide in him. His words will abide in us. But we must not use that as a way of pulling back from expressing our heart to God. You have not because you ask not. Answered prayer means this. Here's the definition. It means God's going to show up in the middle of my circumstances. Is everybody good with that? As long as God shows up, are we okay? If God's there, whatever he decides, two thumbs up. Amen? So, so. God's will be done. It's not that I am, but don't don't let that cause you not to express your heart specifically about what your desperate need is. The same point is made in the second story. Let's go back to that story, verse number 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus. No, verse uh, 24, I'm sorry, verse 24. Thanks, Mom. I'm sorry about that. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged him. So this is Jarius. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians. Now, I think it would be good for me to stop here because there is a confusing thing sometimes that's taking place even in the church where we use a scripture like this. And I know some whole denominations that base a lot of their... their uh, even their doctrine on, you know, we don't need to rely on physicians and hospitals at all. Don't take medicines. And I think that's very dangerous and, and very misguiding. I, I believe this, church. 
that my wife has experienced at the hands of doctors by the grace of God. And, and, and God, God, my wife has experienced God using doctors to help restore her health. Amen. I mean, listen, I could tell you stories. They're amazing stories. Uh, Dr. Lichleiter in ba- at Baylor University Hospital, when my wife needed to have her colon removed, we tried everything. In fact, we tried all of the, what do you call the, the if it's not medicine, it's what? Homeopathic, thank you. And uh, we tried all that stuff. I mean, she almost died while we were trying everything else. She withered her way down to like 80 pounds. And we were, but we were, we were hoping all this other stuff would work. And finally, it was just God opening the door. We met this Christian doctor. By the way, his parents live in the village. Amazing. Dr. Lichleider, a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, third greatest, they say the third best physician in the world when it comes to the colon, and, and I, again, I'm just using my terms. I know other people know exactly what I'm trying to say in other terms. But, and he does this surgery, and man, then she gets a doctor in Little Rock called Dr. Mizell. She has an episode a few months ago, loses some blood, has to go get a procedure done. I'm in the room with Dr. Mizell. I say, doctor, listen, just so you know, we're believers in Jesus Christ, and we believe God's in total control of this. Even though you're our doctor, God's got this. And he said, well, why don't you just pray? I'm a believer too. We got to pray in that room with Dr. Mizell. While I was praying, I heard him say, yes, yes, Jesus, yes. God uses doctors. I want to go as far as to say this, and I've got it on the screen, and it's in your notes. Whether God heals through doctors or whether God heals supernaturally, either way, can we not agree, it is God who heals. That's the bottom line. God does the healing. Whether he does it through a doctor, through a miracle medicine, or whether he does it through supernatural touch of God. Either way, God gets all the glory. Amen. Amen. So I want to stop here and just say that because I think it's important sometimes that we acknowledge false teachings in the church about certain things where somebody can take a verse and then use it against something that could really mislead someone to make decisions that would potentially hurt them. Anyway, that's all I have to say about that. She had spent all that she had and was no better off but rather grew worse. Now, I want you to see in this story right now, see it. She acts. Are you ready? Here it is. Here it is. Verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus and she came up behind him and the crowd and touched his garment. Maybe she had heard some previous miracles or maybe even she was around Jairus when Jairus was talking about what he needed and she picked up on that. And so because she realized that Jairus had faith and Jesus responded to his faith, maybe she learned from that and said, you know what, that, I need help. And so she comes up behind him in the crowd and she touches his garment. She acts. But then notice she asks, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well What faith? And just a side note, you can't trick God into thinking that you believe him. You either believe him or you don't believe him. No tricking God. She acts, she asks. You can see these four things that we discussed in the previous story. You see the brokenheartedness in this story. You see the urgency in this story. You see the specificity in this story. You see the confidence of this lady in this story. She asks in faith. Then notice she overcomes, verse 29. And immediately the flow of the blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. 
And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him. What a picture of the deity of Christ. Power had gone out of him. A moment ago, Thomas Kemp came to change my batteries. And I said, I feel power going out of me. <laughs> he laughed. And you laughed. At least Tiffany did. Thank you. And uh, that was kind of funny, wasn't it? Okay. And uh, all right. <laughs> that's about the most power that's going to come out of me, right? Batteries. That was a different power with Jesus. Immediately, he turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched me? Who touched my garments? Now, just for a moment, what would you have done? Ladies? What what would you have done? I mean, you fight through the crowd, you touch him, and then he says, Who touched me? I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm thinking some of us would have crawled in a hole. Like, oh my goodness, whoa. Or maybe, who touched me? He looks at us and oh, she did. I think she did, you know. Wow. It's just such an interesting story here. How these things kind of take place. And then let's move on in the text here. And the disciples, they made it worse in verse 31. The disciples say to him, you see the crowds pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? Duh, Jesus. Everybody's touching you. You're crazy, Jesus. Touch, 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 touch. I touched you. He touched you. We all touched you. We're touching you. What are you talking about, Jesus? Who touched me? Everybody's touching you. We're in the middle of a massive crowd here. But Jesus knew something had happened. We see his humanity here. Look at verse 32. He looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and she fell down before him, and she verbalized the whole thing. She told him everything. She just spilled her guts. She was specific. She was probably much like Jarius. She just told him everything. Her faith overcomes. And he says to her, daughter. It's the only time we see that in scripture like this. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I love that your faith has made you well. That word well is the same word for saved. I believe that Jesus did two things for her. I think he saved her spiritually and he healed her physically. Amen. It's an amazing story. And so we come to this place where we see Jesus answered, but not before she act and asked and overcame. There's going to be an obstacle for you to overcome. Something that you're going to have to trust God for. And if you quit, he's not going to break through. You're not going to get that answer. Oh, I come to you today passionately and compassionately, and I say this. What is it that you need to overcome to get that answer? I want to show you a quick little video of a story that I've known for probably almost 20, 25 years. I'm a big sports fan, so I, and I love the Olympics. And in 1992 in Barcelona, there was a young man by the name of Derek Redman who was the favorite to win the 400-meter hurdles. You know, hurdles are much like the Christian life, aren't they? Wouldn't it be great if we could just kind of walk for God or run for God? But when you've got to walk or run and then jump over something? Has anybody ever watched somebody fall when they're trying to jump over a hurdle? Anybody? I've seen, it's, it's gruesome. I mean, sometimes you can break skin, break bones. Anyway. I just want you to see this story. 
because I believe that what you're about to see illustrates better than I could finish the sermon. If I had to choose a closing, I would like to reach back 28 years ago and, and, just, and just let you see through a story what I've preached this morning. Watch this will that happen in our lives? How many times are we racing towards a goal feeling as if we're so close and then something happens? How many times has that happened in my own life, my marriage? Pastoring this church, rearing children. It's going so good, you know? I mean, it's going great. And something snaps. Something changes. I, I, I see that coming. Oh. I pastored this church for 10 years. I, I can't think of one problem. Then all of a sudden, like we had four divorces in our church in one year. I thought, I thought we'd fall apart. I, I thought, man, I haven't had to counsel hardly any marriage. This has been a breeze. And then it's like the church, I felt as if as a pastor, everything was falling apart the first time my wife got sick unto death and I mean we had the perfect 
perfect everything. I mean, she was just, there were no problems physically, no problems. And then all of a sudden, four years into our marriage, the doctor says, if your wife lives, wait, say that again. sitting in this room right now thinking, well, I'm pretty good right now. Well, just just hang in there a few more weeks or months. It's coming. You say, what? No, I'm just being honest. This is life. This is what happens. But we have a father who comes alongside us. Amen? And he comes alongside and he takes us and we, he, he puts uh, our arms over his neck and shoulder and he says, hey, I, let, let's walk this thing together. We'll make it to the end. Let's go. Let's finish this race. We've got this. I know that's a simple illustration, but I, I, I really believe every time I see that, and I watch it every now and then because I'm, I'm, I'm a visual guy. I, I'm motivated by things that I see. And I wanted you to see what's helped me get through a lot of my problems because I see the Father. He's always there. He doesn't let anybody stop Him. You could try to get in His way. You could, he's going to get to you. He's going to pursue you. He's, he loves you that much. Do you see yourself in the story? You know what the Lord's Supper is all about? A Savior who saw our desperate need. We were dying. We were headed for hell. But God asked Jesus, His Son, to leave heaven, to come down to earth, to pay a price, to die for our sins, to shed His blood, His body was broken. His blood was shed so that you and I could overcome because he overcame sin, death, hell, and the grave. That's what this is about. So this morning, we've got two challenges. Challenge number one. I am inviting Thursday morning at 6.30 a.m., And I'm going to start with just the men at 6.30 a.m. in the auditorium for what I'm going to call for three weeks, just simply this, a desperation prayer meeting. That's it. I have some desperate needs. I think our country is in a desperate place. And so for 45 minutes, 6.30 to about 7.15, 7.30 the latest. I know ladies may think, well, why are you leaving us out? I'm not. I've got... Just let me, if you would trust me, I I really feel compelled to start with the men. I think we need some leadership in our church just to rise up and see the importance of leading their families in desperate prayer. So just trust me, ladies. You're the best prayer warriors in this church. I know that. Be patient with me. Let me have three weeks with the men. Now, we may not have anybody show up, but I can assure you, if I, if I'll be here and, and I need it and if one shows up great if 15 show up great if 20 show up great some people have to go to work at 5 I get that you can't come 6 you can't be here some drive to Little Rock you probably can't come that's okay shoot me a text and say I'll be praying from 6.30 to 7.15 if I can so that's challenge number one a desperation prayer meeting for the next three Thursday mornings at 6.30 in the auditorium here's number two about to partake of these elements 
the bread represents the broken body of Christ. The juice represents the, the shed blood of Jesus. In a moment, we're going to sing. My second challenge is while we're singing this amazing, worshipful prayer, give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our soul to another. I want you to take a moment during the first time we sing this song through. Whether you stand, come to the altar, sit, whatever you feel like you need to do, take that moment to let the Holy Spirit of God begin to speak to you about the message and about what we're about to do. Confess your sin. Unconfess it. Take this time. Give us clean hands. Right? And then I'll come back and instruct us as we take this the, the supper together. We'll do it together. It'll be a sweet time. So let's begin with prayer. Father, I love you. I thank you for this time that we've had. Lord, bless this response time that will include this very intimate moment with you. God, may we kind of draw a circle around ourselves for just a moment. And may we take this moment seriously to examine our hearts, lest we take these elements unworthily. May we present ourselves to you, God, today. May we surrender anew and afresh. And we offer you today the opportunity to clean us up, to clean up our hearts. Lord, may we be a church that is together and unified in the midst of a world gone mad. In Jesus' name, let's stand, shall we?